this morning we're going to look at Romans chapter 1 together, Romans chapter 1. One of the challenges to living in a consumeristic culture is that we can treat the church like we treat our favorite fast food restaurant. We've heard the phrases, the customer is always right, or we can have it our way. And that's good when it comes to buying a vacuum cleaner or a hamburger. And we expect excellence when we go to those places. But sometimes we bring over that desire for a tailored, custom, consumer experience when we walk into the church. The individualization of consumerism has become so prominent that you no longer have to watch um, what everyone else is watching on TV, just in the nature of life. You can watch your own favorite shows on another TV or on another electronic device. You no longer have to listen to the radio station and what they think are the greatest hits. You can create your own greatest hits with your own radio station with your smartphone that will only play the songs that you like. And so our culture is moving more towards individualization. And and the danger for us as Christians is that we can expect that kind of consumerism and individualization when it comes to our church. We want the atmosphere to be just right. And the temperature to be just perfect. And the volume... And we want to sing our favorite hymns every service. And we want everything to look just right. We want people to cater to us and ask us about our week. We want the preaching to be relevant. And we want it to meet the need that I am facing right now. But the Bible paints a completely different picture when it talks about the church. Paul, here in Romans, holds up the church as Christ's great treasure that must be treated with great respect. And that, and that means that we must come to this local expression of Christ's body not with a mindset to consume primarily, but with a mindset to provide. And so Paul here in verses 8-15 through 15 is going to show us that our commitment to the Gospel is what is going to fuel our desire to encourage other believers to be outward focused rather than inward focused. That it is our commitment to the Gospel. As we come to love and know the Gospel more, we come to see that, it, that it's for us to, to reach out with, to, to use it for the sake of other believers even. So let me read our text for us. And you follow along, beginning in verse 8. This is the Word of God. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of His Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests, if perhaps now at last, by the will of God, I may su- succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. 
I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Our commitment to the gospel fuels our desire to encourage other believers, other believers with the gospel. Before we look at this section, I want to remind you that this church was not established by Paul or another apostle. This is not a church that Paul is going back to. He's never been there. This church was planted by Jews who had returned from Jerusalem in the mid-30s A.D., shortly following the death of Jesus and the resurrection and the, the day of Pentecost and the, the, the powerful coming of the Holy Spirit. Following that, that church was established there in Rome. The, the people who lived in Rome who had been visiting Jerusalem went back to Rome to, to start this church. And Paul now is writing some 25 years later from the city of Corinth while he's wrapping up his third missionary journey. And he wants them to know the great glory of the Gospel. He wants them to see how beautiful the Gospel is. And that's what this letter is about. He also wants them to know that he has a desire to come to visit them. In verses 8-10, through we see a prayer for a visit to the Roman church. A prayer for a visit to the Roman church. Verses 8-10. through He begins this section with the word, First. Now, Paul is not saying first, and then later he's going to say second. He's just saying first of all, or here's the first thing that I need to talk to you about. This is of first and and primary importance as I talk to you, and it is that I thank God for you. I am thankful for you. Paul praises God for the Roman believers. The object of Paul's praise is them, that church. He, He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. And the reason for it is because of their faith. The second part of the verse, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. In the capital of the Roman Empire, God saw fit to establish this beautiful body of believers who are spiritually alive and well. And the news that this church was thriving had reached people throughout the world. That's what the end of verse 8 tells us. It's likely that, that people heard about how Emperor Claudius, as I mentioned last week, Emperor or two weeks ago, Emperor Claudius had expelled all the Jews from Rome. And very likely it's because of their stance, their, their love for Christ. He was sick. The, the emperor was sick of hearing about this Christ. And because of that, he, he expelled all the Jews from Rome. It wasn't until the next emperor came along that he allowed them to come back in. And so there was a radical transformation that was going on in the city and Paul knows about it. And he knows that the rest of the world knows about it and he thanks God for their faith. He recognizes that these Roman believers played a huge part in this news news spreading. Not that they're beating their own drum or tooting their own horn. No, they're, they're simply living for God, living for Jesus Christ and the news of it is spreading. Paul also recognizes that this praise does not ultimately go to them. They're not the final recipients of it. Notice, he says in verse 8, I thank, he doesn't say, I thank you for your faith. He says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. The direction of his praise is to God. He recognizes that God is the final recipient of praise. It, it could not happen apart from God's work. Not only does Paul thank God for the Roman congregation, but he also fervently prays that that God would 
um, allow him to visit the Roman believers in verses 9 and 10. Paul fervently prays to God that he could visit the Roman believers. And this is one of the second, I think, one of the two purposes that he writes his letter. One, to show the glory of the Gospel. Two, to tell them that he plans to come to see them. Paul is a glad servant of God. Notice verse 9, For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the Gospel of His Son. He's saying, I have this great calling that God has given to me to be His servant. And He, God, is my witness. This is how strongly I want you to know that this is a real desire of mine. He says in verse 9, For God, and then we could put in the uh, ellipsis there, dot, 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 is my witness. If you look down to the middle of the verse. For God is my witness about how I long to see you all. How I unceasingly make mention of you so that I could come and see you. That's the idea here. Paul wanted them to know that he's not flattering them. Hey, no, it's kind of nice to come and see you. Maybe they'll like me more if I tell them I want to see them. No. He, he genuinely wanted to see them. Notice the frequency of his prayer about coming to see them. In the middle of the verse it says, How unceasingly I make mention of you. In other words, without stopping. I, I, as often as I think about you, I pray that God would allow me to come and see you. So Paul had a great desire to see them. And this is evident uh, throughout the rest of the text. In fact, let me just show you in verse 11. He says, For I long to see you. Verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you. And then verse 15. So for my part, I am eager to preach the Gospel to you also who are in Rome. So, so the, the message here in this, in this section, this paragraph is, I desire to see you. It's not a passing interest that Paul has for the Roman believers. He is committed to them, even though he doesn't know them personally. There are a few things that he desires in his Christian life than to see the believers in Rome. Now, why was it that Paul thanked God for them and prayed so fervently for a meeting with them? What was so critical in his mind that he had to go see them in person? And the answer comes in verses 11-13. through 13. And there we see the goal for Paul's visit to the Roman church. The goal for Paul's visit to the Roman church. Verses 11-13. through 13. We see the goal here in verse 11. It says, For I long to see you, and then notice this phrase, a purpose, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. And then we see it again in verse 12. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you. And then verse 13, the middle of the verse, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also. And then verse 15, I am eager to preach the Gospel to you. So he could summarize all of those purposes. All of those are Paul's way of saying, this is why I want to come to you. We could summarize all of those by saying, Paul wants to visit the Roman believers so that he can impart and receive spiritual strength. Paul wants to impart and receive spiritual strength. And his deep commitment to them as a body of believers is fueled by his love for God by His love for the Gospel. He knows the effects of the Gospel and what it can do on people. And He wants to see that spread to these Roman believers. And that fuels His desire to encourage them with the Gospel. Let's look at two ways that Paul describes his desire to impart spiritual strength. So, it is to impart and to receive spiritual strength. 
How is it that He wants to impart spiritual strength? First, by mutual encouragement. He wants to impart spiritual strength by mutual encouragement. This mutual encouragement includes the impartation of spiritual gifts from Paul to them. Notice uh, again in verse, um, verse 11, For I long to see you that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. What is this spiritual gift? Well, verse 11 tells us that it further, further establishes them. Look at the end of the verse. That you may be established. So if Paul imparts a spiritual gift to them, then somehow they're going to be established. And what, it, what I think that means is that it, they're going to be established in their faith. So most likely the spiritual gift has to do with some kind of blessing from God that comes through the teaching, preaching, and thoughtful encouragement of Paul to the believers. He wants to impart some blessing from God through his teaching, preaching, and, and, and individual encouragement. The word established there at the end of verse 11 is a word that means to make strong. He wants to make them strong. That's why I say spiritual strength. He wants to encourage them. That's what encouraging is. It's, it's to lift one up. It's to build someone who's been uh, taken down by the cares of this world. We want to encourage them with the words from God. We want to make them strong. And what Paul recognizes here is that his speaking to them, the Gospel, has a direct connection with their spiritual strength. As Paul gives them the Gospel, they grow in spiritual strength. And that should remind us something that we just sang about, and that is that, that the Gospel is not something that we need simply to escape from the fires of hell. Yes, we need the Gospel for that, but it is also something that we need every day. We need to be strengthened spiritually by the Gospel. So what about you? Do you come to church with that sort of mindset like Paul was wanting to come to the Roman believers? That you long to meet with God's people so that you may strengthen the faith of the obedience and the obedience of one of the members of this church today? I want to see him grow in his faith and so I'm going to use the spiritual gifts that God has given to me and, and impart those spiritual blessings to them through real words of encouragement. Here's how Paul puts it in 1 Thessalonians 3, 9 and 10 to the Thessalonian church. He says, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. You know what Paul wanted to do for the Thessalonian church? He wanted to complete what was lacking in their faith. He wanted to supply something that God had given to him. Not that he was better than them. Better than them. He's going to show that, listen, you're actually going to encourage me as well. But the point is that Paul did not just show up at churches unconcerned about them or treat his encounter, encounters with churches as if, you know, he's just checking off another item on his to-do list. I need to go to this church. I need to talk to them. No, it, it was he had a desire to see them spiritually strengthened, established through his encouragement. Sadly, sometimes we treat our church differently than Paul 
We think, you know, it's Sunday, so I'm going to church today. That's what I do. But why are you going to church today? There should be several reasons why you go to church. And one ultimate reasons, uh, one ultimate reason, but among those several reasons that you have to go to the church, one of them should be to make another believer or believers stronger in their faith. To complete what is lacking in their faith. Or as the, the writer of Hebrews says, to spur one another on, to provoke them on to love and good works. That should be one of the purposes that you come to meet with God's people today. And I would say that if you don't have personal encouragement on your mind when you come to church, then you are very likely coming to meet with God's people for selfish reasons, with a consumeristic type mindset. How are people going to meet my felt needs today? What are they going to do to serve me? Instead, we should come to the assembly thinking, Christ is our head. And yet Christ still was willing to serve us. And I too must seek the greatness that Christ sought, which is measured by God through service of others. And here are one or two ways that I can specifically serve this person. I can serve our congregation today. I might not be able to talk to every single person and encourage every single person one-on-one. But here are a few people that I know need some spiritual strength today. They need some support. And that's why, that's one of the reasons why we ought to be coming to the assembly of God's people. So, first, mutual encouragement. And I say, by the way, before we get to the second one, I say mutual encouragement because Paul does not expect to come into their church and simply do all the edifying. Look at verse 12. He he says at the end of verse 11 that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you. So that we are encouraged together, he says. And then he says, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. He, He can't say it any more clearly. It's not just that I'm encouraging you, but I'm expecting that you will encourage me as you have already. As I learn of your faith and your love for God. You will encourage me. Paul expects not only to give encouragement, to receive, but to receive encouragement. You see, there's a difference between that and having a consumeristic mindset. A consumeristic mindset is one-sided. It's saying, what are you going to do for me? But what Paul says is, not only am I going to come and give to you and give and give, but also I expect that, that he sees himself as humble enough to be able to receive some encouragement as well. Yes, Paul wants to strengthen their faith, but he also wants them to strengthen his faith as well. That's why he says, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. You see, Paul doesn't see himself, even though he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, he does not see himself as immune from the Gospel and its implications for his own life. And so he's saying, I'm gladly, I gladly accept the encouragement that you will give to me and the mutual accountability that I need. And so, Christian, if you are faithfully seeking to minister to others, one of the temptations is consumerism, yes, but the other temptation, maybe on the other side, is pride. That is, that you come to church and you think, you know, I do need to help a lot of people because they need a lot of help. And I brought a bucket of water from the well of God's wisdom to share with other people, but they're not putting any water in my bucket. 
They're not going to use any of their water on me. You see, the nature of Christ's church is that we are all dependent on God. None of us is independent. We are all interdependent on each other. We're all dependent on God and we're interdependent on each other. That's why Paul uses the analogy of the church. That is the the analogy of the body for the church. That there are a number of different parts for the body, but they're all necessary, aren't they? For the proper working of the body. So just because Paul may be a more prominent part of the body doesn't mean that he doesn't need the other parts, right? And he recognizes that. I plan to come to you and I plan to impart some spiritual gift to you because I want to see you established. But I also expect that you're going to impart your spiritual gifts to me because I am, have not arrived yet. And so in the same way, you, when you come to the assembly, you should not come with an air of pride as if you can't gain anything from anyone else. It is equally selfish to come to the assembly with a consumer mindset as it is to come to the assembly with an arrogant mindset. So Paul wants to impart spiritual uh, encouragement to them. And the second thing that he wants to do is he wants to bring about spiritual fruit. He wants to experience the fruit of his labors. It says that in... Um, Verse 12, that I may be encouraged with you, each of you, each of us by the others, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you so that I may obtain some fruit among you also. Paul wants to obtain some kind of fruit. And I think this is the idea of receiving a harvest. He wants to harvest some of his labors. He wants to see unbelievers come to salvation. He wants to see the believers that are already established. He wants to see them growing. And then he says at the end of verse 13, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. In other words, he's already been seeing fruit and has been harvesting some of that fruit among the rest of the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and he wants to see the same thing in Rome as well. So, Paul has a desire to go and visit them. He has a goal for that meeting. He wants to actually impart spiritual encouragement to them and receive spiritual fruit. And the motivation behind it all is found in verses 14 and 15. The motivation for Paul's visit to the Roman church. There are two. First, his God-given mission. And second, his understanding of the power of the Gospel. First, his God-given mission. Verse 14, he says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and barbarians, to the wise and to the foolish. He says, I am under obligation. Not in the sense that he owes them back for something or that he's trying to pay God back for something. We could never fully pay God back. But rather, that God has made him a steward of the Gospel, right? Paul wanted to be found faithful with the the resources that God had given to him. So he says in that way, since God has given me this this responsibility. I'm a steward of it. I am under obligation to do something with it, not just to leave it alone. I want to see some fruit in you. And that means that he'll spread the Gospel to people of various backgrounds. And he lists two sets of people, the Greeks and the barbarians, and then the wise and the foolish. The Greeks are referring to not people who live in the nation of Greece, but but rather Greeks are referring to non-Jews here. 
those who were educated and cultured, but not of the Jewish faith. And then the barbarians would be the opposite of Greeks. They are also non-Jews, but they're uneducated and uncultured. We could call them really uh, foolish in one way. And In fact, that's one of the words that Paul uses in the next phrase. He says, wise and the foolish. That's who Paul wants to see the Gospel go to. Wise are the people who are gifted at communication and thinking, and foolish are those who are unwise and stupid. People who, you know, kind of are the the, the downcast, the low, the, the the lowest people in society. Paul says, "I want to go to them too." Paul recognizes that he's been called to herald the message of Jesus Christ, and that no matter what category of person that he he has in front of him, he wants to preach to them, whether they're a Jew, a Greek, a barbarian, wise or foolish. He wants to preach to them. He has this God-given mission. He's under obligation. It's this resource that God has given. He wants to use it properly. The second motivation is found in verse 15, and that is his understanding of the power of the Gospel. So for my part, I am eager to preach the Gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now, we need to think about this for a second carefully. I've already alluded to this idea that the Gospel is not just for unbelievers, but think about who Paul is writing to. Right, He says in verse 15, I'm eager to preach the Gospel to you who are also in Rome. But who is he speaking to? Well, verse 7 tells us. Look at verse 7. After he gives his introduction of who he is, he says, To all who are beloved of God or loved by God in Rome, called as saints. So who is this letter for? Is he writing to unbelievers? Is he saying here's a mix there's a mix in there. And, and so then when we read verse 15, we get there and say, well, of course he wants to preach the Gospel because there's some unbelievers in here. But no, he's saying, listen, I understand the church of Jesus Christ to be made up of saints. Every single believer is a saint. And they are loved by God. That's who I'm writing to. And that's who needs the Gospel. Every single one of us needs the Gospel. Paul recognized that the Gospel, recognized that the gospel was not just for initial salvation but it was for their spiritual growth. We need the Gospel. We need to be reminded like what we're going to do this morning. Be reminded of the Gospel. Paul wants to preach the Gospel to saints. Why? Why does he want to preach to saints? Again, you see the Gospel is not only to escape from hell. Yes, the Gospel does allow us to do that, but it's also necessary for you and me to live by faith every day. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you need the Gospel every day? You and I constantly need to be reminded that we are sinners saved by grace in order to live by faith. So we see two primary points here. Paul wants to visit Rome. That's one of the points he he makes here in this paragraph. And he wants to encourage them with the Gospel. And that leads us to two principles that that I'll give to you in closing. Number one, God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are not our ways. Paul wants to visit Rome. That's what he makes clear in this paragraph. I have not stopped praying to God so that I could come and see you. He knows. God is my witness. I wanted to do this. 
How I long to see you. I want to impart some spiritual gift to you. But you know, Paul's unceasing prayer to visit the Roman church would not happen on his timetable or according to Paul's plan. When was it that Paul finally made it to Rome? Now, now remember, Paul here is in Corinth. He's not too far from Rome, considering where Jerusalem is from where he's at. But he's not too far from there. He's at the end of his third missionary journey. He's heading back. The very next thing is he's taking an offering back to Jerusalem. And it's not until the end of Acts that he finally comes to Rome. And how does he get there? How does he get to Rome like he desired to do for so many years? Did he go to the ticket counter in Caesarea and say, you know, one ticket to Rome, please? No, what happened when he got back to Jerusalem? He was arrested and taken as a prisoner and put on a boat. He appealed to Caesar. And after much trouble and shipwreck, he finally made it to Rome. And when he, was, when he arrived and when he was released from prison, he was able to preach the Gospel in Rome. And listen to how Luke ends the record of Acts. Acts 28, 30, and 31. And Paul stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. Paul's prayer was answered. But it wasn't on his timetable, was it? If, if, it, if he had it his way, he'd go back to Jerusalem, drop the money off, and head back to Rome because he was planning to go to Spain to get the gospel there eventually. We don't know if he ended up making it to Spain or not. Very likely he did. But Paul desired to get to Rome and he prayed to God unceasingly for it. And God, in His timing and in His way, brought it about. And so, friend, God may not fulfill every desire for goodness that you have in this lifetime. And He often doesn't respond on your timetable. But you can be sure that God works out everything for His glory and for your good for all those who love Him and who are called according to His purposes. So God's ways may not be our ways, but God's ways are best. And He will accomplish exactly what He wants in His time through our prayers. The second principle that we can draw from this is that, number two, the local church is for spiritual sharpening. The local church is for spiritual sharpening. President Lincoln once said that if he had six hours to chop down a tree, have you heard this? Before, if he had six hours to chop down a tree, he would spend the first four sharpening his axe. How many times in your Christian life have you felt like you're chopping at the trunk of opposition to no avail? And you come to church on Sunday with your spiritual axe dulled by the, the labors of life and the spiritual warfare that, you've, that you are in? Well, you ought to leave this place sharpened spiritually. You ought to leave our assembly strengthened for the task that you have in front of you. Now, don't expect every Sunday to be the perfect elixir that you're looking for for the exact ailment that is troubling you. For example, maybe you're dealing with the temptation of laziness. 
and neither I nor anyone else that you talk to throughout your time here today encourage you, encourages you and challenges you not to be lazy, but to work hard as to the Lord and not to grow weary in well-doing. No one says anything about that. You walk out and you say, I came in dealing with laziness and nobody said anything about it. But what you should do is go away encouraged about your faith. Because you have just spent time with other believers who, with their attendance, are saying, Amen to the Gospel. It is true. Jesus is alive. That's why I keep coming here. I come to serve Him. And you should go away with that idea. And and you should go away encouraged by the singing. And believers are saying yes to the sovereign rule of Christ. That He has planned it all. You ought to leave, maybe not getting the exact elixir, elixir that you want, but you should leave spiritually sharpened and ready for the next fight that's around the corner. You, ought to leave, you also ought to leave our assembly having sharpened someone else. That is, your job, our job as a, as a church as a whole, is to sharpen one another as iron sharpens one another so we should do the same spiritually. And that's what one of the purposes of the church is. Yes, it is to worship God. That's our primary reason that we come. We come to worship God. But it also should be where believers can come and be encouraged. Go back out into the fight. The spiritual warfare that we all face. God has a purpose for exactly what He wants to to accomplish in your life. And He will accomplish it in His time. And then, God uses His church to spiritually sharpen each one of us. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the old, old story. The story of the Gospel that we love. We love to hear it. We love to tell it. We love to sing it. We love to live it. Oh, for Your grace to be able to do so, Lord. Thank You for this body of believers who is an encouragement to me regularly through their prayers and their attendance and their love and their specific words of encouragement. And I pray that You would help each of us to see our responsibility to spur one another on toward love and good works, to provoke one another, encourage one another day after day to impart some spiritual gift to one another. But also, Lord, help us to be humble enough to recognize that we have not arrived and that we need help from other people as well. We need encouragement from others. So, Lord, help us to have a proper balance as we come to this place, not to be consumeristic nor to be proud but to come in humility, seeking the the needs of others and seeking how to meet those needs. Lord, we pray that Your Holy Spirit would show us specifically how we can apply this to our lives this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.